Big welcome, Shannon. I'm really delighted to be in conversation with you today for my Leaders in Conversation podcast series. Shannon Banks is MD of B Leadership. She's committed to social leadership and to action learning. Shannon, I'd like to begin by asking you, why do you do what you do and where did it all start? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think... I became interested in what I'm interested in at a really young age. I grew up in the Midwest in the US and I was born in Chicago and I was, I think, hugely influenced by my parents. We lived in Chicago until I was two, at which point my parents decided they had three kids in the family and they wanted to move us to the country. They didn't want us to grow up in the city. So we moved to rural Iowa. And my dad was a Presbyterian minister. He had graduated valedictorian of his high school class, was voted most likely to succeed. But moving to Iowa put us on a path of not very much money. So we lived kind of a not very, just without very much money when I was a child. But my parents throughout my childhood demonstrated massive amounts of generosity, not just to us by making that decision to move to a rural life, but also to everyone, to the community around them. They were very, very service oriented. I had a chance to reflect on this quite a lot. My dad died two years ago and he was really influential in my life. I thought a lot about what I learned from him. You know, he was a really service-oriented leader. And I remember one particular story from my childhood where we were all sat down at a Thanksgiving meal, hugely important holiday for the U.S. and very family-oriented, and the doorbell rang. And everyone knew my dad in town. It was a man who had run out of petrol, out of gas, and needed help. And my dad left and went and sorted him out and then invited him in. And that was just a perfect example of my family and my parents So I kind of took on some of those values. Tell me more about your business around leadership and also the very particular coaching that you do. So I had a corporate career. I spent 17 years at Microsoft and was in technology before that for a few years too. And actually, I kind of thought, I, was, I always describe myself as a corporate girl. Like I really loved being in corporations and contributing to something like that. But... For years and years and years, I would ask any consultant that I worked with, how did you become a consultant and how did you start your business and what made you leave corporate life? So I think I had a curiosity there for a long time. And five years ago, I basically had an opportunity to change roles and decided that what I wanted to do was start B Leadership. It was actually really scary. I really wasn't sure that I was an entrepreneur and I had a whole bunch of fears, but I decided that I wanted to focus on social leadership. And I had gotten involved in that space while I was still at Microsoft. And I really try to bring leadership development together with social impact and corporate social responsibility and help leaders have the skills that they need to be able to have both a business impact in the modern world and a social impact. You did say if we wanted to, I wanted to, we could talk about your fears around going it alone, as it were, having been a corporate girl for many, many years and worked in Microsoft, but being very curious when consultants came in about how they became a consultant. You've become one. And what were your fears about becoming a consultant, about going it alone? First of all, 
I had worked at Microsoft for a long time. I mean, 17 years is a significant part of my life. And I really did love it. My husband, I met my husband at Microsoft. He's still there. He's 25 years there this year. And so I felt like it was a massive part of my identity. And I was really proud of Microsoft as a brand. And I wasn't actually sure if I would feel that same affiliation with something that I created. Uh, So that's the first one. I'll tell you how I ended up feeling after I started my business. But that was the first thing I was scared of was like a lack of affiliation, a lack of belonging. So I would actually separate that out and even elaborate on that one more. I had a ton of friends at Microsoft Love the people that I worked with. I have a huge value around belonging. So I was worried that I would lose all of that. And working on your own, I thought, oh no, I'm going to be really isolated and, and feel really lonely. And then the third was just a practical concern around financial stability. You know, I had worked at Microsoft a long time and had needed to earn a certain amount of money. And I didn't really know whether I could do that in my own business. So when I was leaving Microsoft, explored a whole bunch of options. I was at 80% time at Microsoft because I wanted a certain life balance with my family and my daughter. The options I was looking at extended from, at one point, other roles at Microsoft to other corporate roles to possibly doing some consulting. I saw a business coach while I was leaving and while I was thinking about these options And I said, okay, I'm very, like on a Myers-Briggs scale, I'm very J, which means I really like to drive towards a a solution and closure. So I'm trying to avoid that. I am trying to keep my options open. So I'm looking at all these options and I described them all to her in very specific roles that I was doing interviews with. She looked at me and she was kind of quiet and she said, Shannon, I know you're doing your best to stay open-minded But I hear excitement in your voice over one of these options. Which one might that be? And I looked at her and I was just like, oh, it's starting my own business. And she said, yeah, she said, I can really hear it in your voice. So what's stopping you? You know, so I kind of talked her through the fears that I had. Now, once I started my business, what I learned was that those fears were completely unfounded, really unfounded. I still feel an affinity with Microsoft. I'm very proud of the career I had there. I think I draw on it in the work that I do. I'm still friends with lots of people who were there and are still there. In fact, I spoke to a couple of them yesterday. And I met you as an extension of someone that I met through Microsoft. So it's just, it's still definitely part of my life. And I've been very lucky with my business and managed to do fine financially. So that hasn't been the worry that I thought it was. I'm also fortunate to have a team that I work with consistently. So I'm not lonely. I'm really not lonely. And I love my clients. So it's all been great. Lovely. Well, I'm really pleased that we met on a course, a networking course. I was very excited to do this podcast today with you because I wanted to know more about you, but also how you came to choose the title of your business, which is Be Leadership. It was through a lot of thought and a lot of exploration, really trying to think about what I believe in. So I, if you think back to the stories I said earlier, I really believe that individuals can make a big difference and that one individual can make a big difference. If I think about my corporate career, I used to tell people who worked for me that we all have like a microcosm under us and we can shape that and we're not bound 
by the broader culture if we don't want to be. We can create the own, our own culture. So I ended up selecting Be Leadership because I think I believe in human-centric leadership. I believe in the individual and the power of the individual. I think that's where we start when we do development. And that leads me very easily into asking you about the development you do in action learning in particular, which I know is something that you are very good at and that I'm looking forward to learning more about from you in in the future. I was really fortunate to get exposed to action learning while I was still at Microsoft. And actually, there's a funny story about it because I joined a team and I was heading up some high potential development at Microsoft. As part of that role, I was given the kind of title of thought leader around action learning. And I thought I had been in some leadership development programs myself that had had action learning components and it hadn't been a very positive experience. And I thought, I don't want to be thought leader of action learning. This isn't the role I want. And actually, this was a long time ago, I should add, but the reputation of quote-unquote action learning at Microsoft wasn't very good. So I thought, right, if I'm going to be thought leader of action learning, I need to figure out why it's not well-received and figure out how to make this better. And so I did a whole bunch of interviews with people who had participated in it, high-potential leadership development consultants who had set up quote-unquote action learning programs, VPs who had done it, etc. And I also talked to people outside Microsoft. And what I learned was Microsoft at that point was using that label action learning for any stretch project that they assigned alongside leadership development. It was often done without any method or any coaching. That meant the behaviors that people brought into it were exactly the same as the behaviors they left with. So it wasn't necessarily a very pleasant experience or a good learning experience for people. I also learned that the high potential leaders who were setting up the programs would go to, not the leader participants, but the development consultants who are setting up the programs, would go to the VPs and say, you know, we have some high potentials. We want to give them some really impactful work, which was great. And they'd say to the VPs, what problems do you have that they can work on as stretch projects in quote unquote action learning? And the VPs would give them things. And the VPs said to me, look, Shannon, if we had important problems, we already had people working on them. So we had two choices. One was give them something that someone else was already working on, or two, give them something that was kind of a second tier problem that wasn't actually that urgent and wasn't that real. And of course, the participants could feel that straight away. And so we ended up really changing up what we did. And I luckily, with support of all my colleagues who had come before and started looking at this, was introduced to the World Institute for Action Learning. And we set up some action learning programs with a true method around them and went to avoid these problems that I had identified. It has made the world of difference to how I understand action learning. There are many definitions of action learning in play around the world. I think for the most part, they relate to one another and there is some overlap. I was lucky to be introduced to the World Institute for Action Learning. In broad brush terms, action learning is a small group problem-solving method where a small group of four to eight people come together to work on a real and urgent problem with the support of a coach. And very importantly, it allows for a balance between real action on real challenges 
and at the same time, real learning and learning at the individual level, the team level and the organizational level. It's very inquiry led, which is something that I really love about it. And in fact, the World Institute for Action Learning has a ground rule that statements can only be made in response to a question. And so it really takes people by surprise. That sounds very straightforward. It's actually very difficult when you start it. I had so many people share how much insight they've gotten from that simple ground rule in terms of asking open questions and the power of that and not jumping to solutions and making sure you're solving the right problem, the real problem, and not kind of a superficial problem. I use action learning a lot, more than I actually expected in my business. I'm very involved with the World Institute for Action Learning as well. I'm on the board, and it's a global community, which I really love. I love getting together with them. It's a very nice community, very engaged community. One of the ways that I use it is in my social leadership, because a lot of my programs bring together corporations and corporate leaders and social enterprises or nonprofits where we'll work on the problems of oftentimes the social enterprises and the nonprofits, but in collaboration. So the corporate leaders and the social enterprises will work together to solve a problem that's happening. And it's, it's wonderful because it takes both groups out of their own comfort zone and exposes them to different ways of thinking because actually it's a very different world in the nonprofit sector to the corporate sector. Great that you bring different groups of people together and create a co-community with them and at the same time share with them the tools of action learning, the process of inquiry, of asking open questions. Mm -hmm. And you also offer um, a coaching certification Oh, that's true. Yes. So part of what the World Institute for Action Learning does is offer coach certification. And I had enough practice coaching quite early on that I got certified to quite a senior level. And so for quite a number of years, even while I was still at Microsoft, I was teaching some of the coach certification classes in the UK. And I love that because it gives me an opportunity to share that tool set with other people. And it's, I, it's wonderful the feedback I get from other coaches who have really changed what they do using action learning. Shannon, you live in Chertsey in the UK and your family, your mother and your side of the family all live in the States. And you've mentioned that community is really important to you, that belonging is really important to you, staying connected is very important to you. How do you stay connected with your family and keep that sense of belonging? That's a really good question. So as just a foundational comment, my core values are belonging, giving, and growth. So it is really important to me that I feel connected. And a lot of the work I do focuses on connection, maybe because it's so important to me. That doesn't mean it's always that easy. So you've given me feedback before that I'm quite open and transparent. And I thought about like why I am. I think partially I'm just an extrovert. So I'm quite, quite happy to share myself with other people. Like I enjoy that. But I also think that I really believe that you can't have real relationships without being somewhat vulnerable. 
because I want that level of connection with people, I have to model that or I will never get that back. And so with my family, they're far away. I've always felt really close to my family, despite the distance. I think you can be close or distant from your family, regardless of geographically how distant they are. But it's not always been that easy. Honestly, with my siblings, there have been times where I felt really isolated from them and really sad about that. Right after dad died, we were really close through the death of my dad, and that was really important to all of us. But I think grieving does something to people, and everyone grieves in their own way. I found myself feeling really lonely after dad died and not feeling very connected to my family. I was really upset about it. Because I care so much about that, I decided I really needed to find a way through. And so I decided it was up to me, really. If I wanted those relationships, I needed to make an effort to get them. I have three siblings, as well as my mother. They're all different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So with each of them, I've worked to rebuild or just build closer relationships. And I feel so much better as a result. And I just saw all of them at Christmas And it was the most heartwarming Christmas I've had in such a long time. I felt so close to all of them. Really lovely. And I very much resonate with the need to be open and wanting to be open with people as a way of connecting with people. And you're owning that if you wanted the kind of relationships you wanted with your family, you needed to make that happen. It's a real celebration of you and your family. You're very clear about what your three core values are, giving, belonging and growth. How did you arrive at those values and when, if ever, have they been challenged? Like, I guess, anyone in this profession, I've had a lot of opportunity to think about my values. I remember doing a values exercise when I was really young, I think with my dad in Sunday school. So thinking about your values started for me really at a young age. And at Microsoft, I had the chance to think about that a lot too. And I would often do these values exercises and come up with words and they weren't bad words and they were values of mine, but I would kind of think, oh, they don't really resonate. They're not quite right. If you know what I mean, I think they weren't exactly right. And then about three years ago, I was working on values again, and I somehow came up with giving, belonging, and growth, and it just felt right. I do a lot of values work with my clients. I always say to them that the word, the actual word matters, because like connection is similar to belonging, but belonging is my word. Development is similar to growth. But growth is my word. But really, it just matters that they are personal to you. Have they been challenged is a great question. I think that the story I just told about my siblings is an example where I felt my sense of belonging being challenged. And I suppose that when I was leaving Microsoft, I was worried about that being challenged then as well. Shannon, we've talked a lot about two of your three values, giving and belonging. We've talked less about, but it's implied that in all that you do, growth, the third value. I think it would be really interesting to hear more about what are those events in your life that have really grown you into the person that you are today 
single events and or ongoing events that you look back on and know that they have shaped you and that you've grown through? That's a really great question. And um, a couple come to mind. There obviously were many, but I think the two that I would particularly call out, one is that when I was 12, I was diagnosed with systemic lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. And I was quite poorly for a couple of years as a youngster. And then it sort of um, went into remission. I questioned that diagnosis, actually, for quite a long time through my young adulthood. Looking back, I actually think I was symptomatic, but I didn't know enough about the disease to know that. It wasn't bothering me particularly, so I kind of didn't really pursue it. When I fell pregnant with my daughter, I was monitored really closely because of my lupus diagnosis. Again, they kind of questioned it. They said, you know, did you, when did you get this? Oh, at 12, I was in Kansas, you know, and they're like, okay. But I didn't really have a typical lupus pregnancy, but I breastfed my daughter for a year. And at the end of that, clearly it's, there are hormonal connections with lupus. And I had just an eruption of issues. And by this point, I had pushed the whole lupus diagnosis completely out of my mind. I got sent to about six different doctors for six different issues I was having. So I, I felt like a total hypochondriac. Honestly, I just couldn't figure out what was going on with me. I was so unwell. And one of the issues I was having was premature ovarian failure. So at one point I was in seeing the specialist about that and she looked at my bloods and I had a terrible rash, just horrible, horrible rash. And she said, Shannon, none of this that you're dealing with has anything to do with your early menopause. I am looking at these bloods. I think you need to see a rheumatologist. And I was like, oh, well, I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 12. And she said, well, why aren't you seeing a rheumatologist? It, that's been 12, 13 years ago now. And since that point, unfortunately, I've really struggled with my lupus. I, I keep it managed the best that I can. And I proactively kind of try to live my life in a way that supports it not causing me trouble. But it's not particularly easy. And I think I faced... Actually, if we go back all the way to 12, I faced my mortality quite young because I had a rheumatologist when I was 12 who, when I was diagnosed, sat me down and said, oh, don't worry, Shannon, I have patients who live till they're 30. And I said, 30? I am going to live past 30. I'm not going to die at 30. And yet, at that point, the prognosis for lupus wasn't very good. And so I think that actually really did change me. The other event that I would call out was back in 2014, and it's maybe not a surprise that I didn't get clarity on my values until after this event. We lived near where I live now, but along the River Thames. 2014, there was very bad flooding in our area, and our house flooded. It actually flooded twice, once in January and then again in February of that year. I think about it and think, why was that so traumatic? It really shouldn't, it feels like it shouldn't be so traumatic. We knew we were at risk living along the river. Um, we knew when we bought the house, we might flood. But actually when something like that happens to you, it really tears away your foundations. I mean, I had an eight-year-old and we evacuated on the 7th of January. I still remember the day very well. And by that evening, the water was so deep around our house. My husband tried to go in to get us a few more belongings and he could barely get in with like waist high waders. And our house ended up 
inaccessible for the second time for over a month. And when we did go in, we had to use a crowbar to open the door. And um, I still find it really emotional thinking about it because it was, it's the foundation. You lose your home. You really lose so much. And my husband and I were fine and worked really hard to create stability for my daughter, but be honest with her about how we felt about it. But it was really soul destroying. And we were basically out of that house for 18 months while we rebuilt. So we we moved first to a hotel and then to temporary kind of housing that was furnished. And then eventually we got all of our kind of destroyed belongings back and had to sort through them because they were all moldy and lived there for another year. So it was a good 18 months of our life that we were disturbed by this. And there are so many people around the world who deal with this kind of disaster, but unless you go through it, it's really not clear the residual impact of it. I was reading a book by Sheryl Sandberg recently called Option B, and she talks about post-traumatic growth. And I truly believe that an experience like that, you create better resilience and growth from that type of experience. So I try to look at it that way and know that at least I can relate better to other people. And I think I've grown a lot through going through that. We're lucky because the house that we are in now has a very long history and we feel like we're the guardians of this house. It was built in 1725 and it was a schoolhouse originally for 50 girls and 50 boys. And it's just an incredible place to be be part of the history of. So we really love it. And yeah, I, I'm very happy now. But we were very careful selecting that home um, in many dimensions, but, but also to pick one that we felt we could really develop ourselves and make our own. So that's what we're doing. Shannon, the flooding in 2014 is still clearly reverberating through you in how you spoke about what happened then and effectively being homeless for a while and how soul-destroying it was. How did a change how you worked and your relationship with work, not only with Microsoft, but subsequently in your work? The first time we flooded, I stayed working, clearly disrupted, and Microsoft was incredibly supportive. But I'd miss a day here and there as we like moved out of our house and into a hotel and tried to sort out getting the house dry, etc., but I never left work during that flood. And I remember very vividly in February, I was on a conference call with one of my close colleagues and said to her, this is the first week since we flooded, first week of this year, that I'm going to be working all week. And I was really happy about that. We had the drying company in and it was being professionally dried and I thought we were moving through it. And it was a day very much like today, which is a very rainy, very gusty day. And while I was on that conference call, I got a phone call on my mobile and I read on it, environment agency. And we were on the alert system from the environment agency. And I said to my colleague, my friend, oh, I'm sorry, I have to take this. And I pick up the phone and it was a, you have to evacuate your home. There's a danger of loss of life. Move your cars to a higher place. It was the warning alert for our house again. And it said that we had 24 hours to get 
out. My husband was away. He was in Europe um, on business. And so I was there on my own. I said to my friend, oh, I have to go. I said, I have to go. I'm not going to be able to keep working after all. And I went to the house and there were gale force winds and they had already like taken up. We had hardwood floors that were like all ripped out. It was a disaster in there, but they had these huge dryers. And I was like calling the drying company and like putting my hand through the floorboards into water that was coming up from underneath the house to like shut off the water and and the you have to turn off the gas and electricity and everything to evacuate that house again. It was so horrible. I could just see the water coming up and just coming back in and destroying what hadn't already been destroyed. After that flood, <laughs> I did take some time off work and Microsoft has just amazing support and I felt really, really supported by my team and the broader support system. And I remember one time I had a conversation with occupational health. First, I said, I'm ready to come back to work. And they said, are you really? What do you think about most of the time? And I was like, well, the house and flooding. We didn't have a place to live. I was worried about my daughter and her stability. I, I named all these things. And they were like, Shannon, you might think you're ready to come back to work, but you are not. And then they were right, because like two weeks later, I called them and said I wanted to quit. I just didn't care. I just thought, I just need a home. I don't care about this job that I've loved forever and my career. I just want a stable home. And they were like, no, just like you weren't ready to go back to work, you're also not ready to quit. This isn't the time to make that decision. Decision you're making is when you want to come back into the workplace. And what you need to focus on right now is not that. It was just amazing to me how they could see that. And I couldn't. I couldn't see through. The whole experience changed my priorities. And I think ever since then, I've put a greater emphasis on living a balanced life and both respecting and appreciating the basic things that we all take for granted, like a stable home and electricity and um, food and just stability. It's, it matters so much. For those people listening to this podcast, Leaders in Conversation, what are the things that you would encourage them to make time to do, mm. to be, perhaps. <laughs> I think something I've learned is that we do grow through these experiences that might not seem positive. So I think some reflection on the experiences you've had in your life and the impact they've had, both positive and negative, but, but thinking about the positive that they've given you can be truly beneficial. I also think going back to what I learned from my dad, that you lead through action and small things that maybe you don't think have an impact probably do have an impact more broadly. When my dad, right before he died, he was still working and he was teaching a Sunday school class. And I found out the book that they were working through was called, We Make This Road by Walking. And I thought that was a perfect book for him to end his life with because it epitomized how he lived his life and how I really want to live mine. Thank you again, Shannon. I've really, really enjoyed talking with you, learning about you and learning from you as well. If you would like to find out more about Shannon, please do go to her website, beleadership.com. If you're interested in the Action Learning Coaching Certificate, please contact me at annietownend.com. If you would like to be a leader in conversation, please do contact me at annietownend.com 
or find the details on my website. Thank you for listening.